Hello, and welcome back to the ABM podcast. I am Zach, your resident ABM, angry black man, Andrew host. And yes, though I may yet be angry, I'm still glad you're here. Thanks for joining me. Today's topic, I'm going to be talking about motherhood, but a particular type of motherhood because Mother's Day has passed. And, and I'll be honest with you, folks. I was going to bring this topic up. I was already in the process of writing about it and was going to do a rant in various places where people can hear me uh, about motherhood um, back on Mother's Day, when is, which is the day, especially in this country, where we all sort of celebrate mothers and, you know, Hallmark makes a little bit extra money that day because we go buy some cards, maybe flowers or maybe, you know, when there's not a global pandemic going on, take mom to a nice dinner and you know, somehow have that makeup for the thousands of meals she managed to provide for or prepare uh, or even serve uh, the previous year. So Mother's Day is an important holiday, and I was going to do this then, but I didn't want to cast a pall over everyone else's Mother's Day because sometimes I can rant and sound a little grumpy, although I want to be clear, I do respect motherhood very, very highly. Um, I often make the joke that motherhood is a calling and and a, a devotion that I admire very much because I don't have the balls for it myself. And I mean that both cynically, sarcastically, but also realistically. I can't do what mothers do, and I'll explain why in a minute. But today I want to talk about a particular type of motherhood. It's a unique type of motherhood, uh, primarily in this country, or rather for mothers who have children who reside in this country. I'm talking about specifically black motherhood. You could, you know, substitute motherhood of color, but I speak from the black experience because hello, I'm your angry black man. I'm black and I have a very close relationship with a particular black mother, my own, um, my beloved mother, um, AKA mama bud, um, the first greatest superhero I've ever known is a tremendous person. And like I said, folks, I respect motherhood very, very highly. And I think I am truly fortunate because I've got a great, great mother. I love Mother's Day. You know, I've got a great mother. My mama, uh, Mama Bud, you know, MB, really one of the good ones. I'll forever be in awe of her, just of her strength, her amazingness. I mean, picture this. I kind of feel like any woman who can put up with me for any extended period of time deserves her own holiday. Um, that goes for my mama and a few other amazing women out there. Um and I, you know, but for mothers particularly and motherhood and my mom, my mom raised not only me and not by herself. I mean, my dad was a good dad, you know, and by the way, my mother stayed married to my dad. My parents never divorced until daddy passed away uh, long about 13 years ago. Um, you know, may heaven rest his, <laughs> his fiery, angry black soul. That was the original ABM. So rest in peace, daddy. But um, my mom was married to one black man. Um, raised three others, um, is the daughter of another black man, has a brother who's a black man in America, uh, two fathers-in-law and two brothers-in-law who are all black men. Um, and now she's a full-time grandmother of one black granddaughter and six black grandsons. This is a woman who has spent her entire life supporting not only black people and herself, but black manhood. And in so many ways, you know, all of us can say that our lives start with our mothers. Um, very much the same is true for my mom. There's just something unique in this society, in this society known as America KKK, um, where black motherhood is 
there's such a courage and a courageousness to it. I forget where I once read something that talked about how motherhood, uh, this might've been back when I was, you know, reading some Christian texts where motherhood is sort of this basically voluntarily opening up your heart to the greatest of joys and yet the deepest of sorrows at any moment. Um, my um, some, somebody I admire very much, not only because she's a social worker and a professor at my program at the University of Houston, but also because the work she does is just brilliant, is whom you all know as Brene Brown, but because I'm a student at the University of Houston Graduate College of Social Work, I have to refer to her as Dr. Brene Brown, at least until she tells me different. Um, and she hasn't yet because I haven't met her. But <laughs> Dr. Brene Brown talks about foreboding joy, how um, joy is one of the most frightening uh, emotions that we as human beings can feel because as soon as you have joy in your heart, it can be taken away, which means you can have sorrow and motherhood that being connected to a totally helpless being, you know, in most cases where we're talking about bio mothers, people, you know, carry this child from the moment it is conceived of and goes from being a blob of, you know, um, fascinating biological material to becoming a full grown, you know, uh, well, not full grown immediately, but, you know, a fully developed sort of uh, organism that can live on its own, can become sentient, and has to experience the world entirely through the eyes of its parents, particularly its mother at first. You know, the first sounds we all hear were in the mother's womb. The first time we tasted various foods, spicy foods or whatnot, you know, came like most likely from our mother's hand. Um, our first sustenance was, you know, during nursing from, in most cases, again, I'm not saying everybody, but most, right. Um, there are adoptions, but motherhood plays such an important role. And by the way, I'm not talking purely gender because I don't necessarily believe in a strict gender binary. In fact, I don't believe in a gender binary. I believe there are, you know, male bodied persons that perform the work of mothers and vice versa, but I'm talking about motherhood in general, more in the emotional sense where you have this strong connection to this child, this this miniature human that is totally dependent on you um, for its experience in the world and that, you know, every one of its new experiences and how warm they are, how cold they are, how safe they feel, what songs are sung to them, what music they hear is all dependent on the decisions you make. And so that connection between motherhood, especially those of us that are lucky enough to have a mother, is very, very good. I'm, I'm a grown man in my mid-40s, and I'm not ashamed to say I'm a mama's boy. Now, before you freak out, I'm not dependent on my mother, but I do not love my mother very much. I'm very close to her. Um, I live not very far from her. My mom, you could say, is elderly now, but you know, I don't worry about her being weak. I am powerfully protective of my mother. Um, as are myself and my brothers. Um, and we always have been, particularly when daddy passed away. You know, the thought of my mom being alone in this world is a little bothersome. But I think sometimes about me being protective of my mother and I laugh, excuse me. I laugh because my mom is tough. I mean, we're talking about somebody who's a baby boomer. She was born in the late, mid to late forties would have been raised, uh, split her time as a child between Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and Birmingham, Alabama in the heart of Jim Crow in the early fifties, the very beginning of the civil rights era would have been coming into young adulthood at the height of the civil rights era was married before Dr. King was murdered, was there when the civil rights act was signed immediately after Dr. King was murdered was in her twenties 
when, you know, Freedom Summer and the riots broke out. She would have been aware of all this stuff. She would have been aware of names like Emmett Till, you know, Medgar Evers, um, of course, Dr. King. And, and, you know, probably even down in Birmingham knew some people that had suffered at the hands of, you know, brutal bigotry and racism in this country. To be in that environment, to live in what I refer to as that kind of hostile territory, and to make the conscious decision to bring a child in that territory, into that environment, where you know that you're looking down at your beautiful, bouncing baby child, this bundle of joy of yours that you look at, and it's you know, your child's adorable and it's cute and it's totally dependent on you. And through you, that child experiences probably the purest example of true love it can ever know. And they learn to love by the way you love them. To look at that child and see all the joy and hope and, and ambition for the future and all the wonderful things this kid could do. And then to somehow have to face on a daily basis, multiple times a day, the sobering truth that you have brought this child into a society that is going to try to incarcerate or kill it before it reaches the age of 18 and for the rest of its natural life. That's tough. That's, um, I can't imagine. And that's why I say I I respect motherhood so much, you know? So on this day, this is, uh, I'm recording this on uh, the 2nd of June. I started writing this around May 30th. I was going to do it right around the end of May, beginning of June, right about the halfway point between Mother's Day and Father's Day. Because I think in a lot of ways, this is a combination of both. Um, And this can be for all mothers in a lot of ways where they do play both quote unquote mother slash father roles. But particularly in the curious case of black motherhood, it's tremendously brave um, and terrifying and almost in the sense where you have to just take the risk because you know it's dangerous, right? You know, we've all read the statistics. You know, um, any woman like my mother who has, you know, three black males in her life, at least one of them is going to be incarcerated at some point. Um, And it's not because of a fault of their own. You know, we have seen the statistics. We've seen the research that shows that, you know, there is systemic pressure put on to people of color and particularly black people and particularly black males in this country almost from day one. And there are so many examples of truly amazing black women and black mothers um, that I find so fascinating. These people are superhuman. Um, As I mentioned, I'm a student at the uh, University of Houston's Graduate College of Social Work, uh, you know, in the process of finishing up my master's of social work. And being a part of this amazing program, I've had some wonderful opportunities. One of the first ones was to read a book by a truly tremendous author named Jasmine Ward. Uh, Jasmine Ward is an award-winning American author. She mostly writes fiction um, and has run awards for it. Uh, She currently teaches, I believe, English and literature at the University of Tulane, lives in Southern Mississippi. Beautiful Black woman, brilliant too. Um, And I was fortunate enough not only to read her book, but the Graduate College of Social Work brought her on campus um, to, you know, do a book reading and a book signing and to talk to some of us. I was one of the fortunate students. I was able to... um, attend a private conversation with her, take a picture with her, get her to sign a couple copies of my book, or rather of her book. Um, I'm a big fan of supporting authors who write good stuff. So I not only read the book um, on my Kindle, um, I actually listened to it on audiobook as well while jogging. And then 
I bought a couple paperback copies, both to give out as gifts and just because I wanted to support her. And I had her sign it. But if you read this book, Men Re-Reaped, for Jesmyn Ward, it is a departure for her. Because that particular book is not fiction like some of her other books. Um, her, that one is pretty much a memoir. And in Men We Reaped, she basically is telling her life story of growing up in southern Mississippi. But one of the things she's, you know, in the, like about the late 80s, uh, 90s, somewhere around there, um, you know, but one of the things she talks about um, while telling sort of her life story of growing up in Mississippi and how she went about becoming an author and got out of Mississippi and went to other places in the world and ended up coming back to the South and particularly the Southern Mississippi to essentially raise her children um, where she um, grew up. But along with that story, the title Men Re-Reaped comes from the fact that in her um, lifetime, five young black men that she all that she knows some of them were relatives like a cousin and a brother some were just close friends because they all grew up together five young black men that she knows from that area all died or were killed within a four-year period and if you read the story you know about her and she talks about how this one died and how it affected her and how this one died and how it went you know how it affected her um what you realize is that you're reading as a holistic piece of art a story, a true story, about how various forms of systemic oppression all took out these five young black men. Every last one of them was taken out one way or another and was either devalued, dehumanized, straight up murdered, or just you know, left to basically die. Um, and so it's a powerful story. What's amazing to me is that a woman like that would grow up in a place like that and then choose to raise her children in that same place. And when uh, Jasmine Ward was on the campus of U of H and was doing a bit of a reading and speaking about her book, she told this wonderful story that um, I wish I could track her down and find out where it came from. But she talked about um, a story that she had heard about or read um, of a young black woman who had a child who was a slave back in the days of the South and, you know, was, let's say, picking cotton. And so I guess she's given a couple of days off to have her newborn baby. But then, you know, because black people are, you know, capital, they weren't people back then. Slaves were property. She's expected to go work. So she puts her newborn baby essentially in a basket, has to set it at the end of the row of cotton and go pick cotton. Well, she's picking cotton. Baby starts crying. So as a mother, when you hear your newborn baby crying, you're drawn to go and try to tend to it. Goes and tends to it, coos the baby, gets him to be quiet, goes back to picking cotton. Um, overseer doesn't like the fact that she's taking time away from her labor. You know, so baby starts cooing again, you know, crying again. Mom goes down, tries to comb. Mom gets a lash across the back. She's trying to get the baby to be quiet so she can work. You know, another cry, it's distracting her. So, again, another lash from the whip on the back of the overseer. Who's on a horseback? And after doing this a couple of times repeatedly, you know, the, the baby doesn't know what's going on. It's a newborn baby out in the middle of the, you know, a fucking plantation while mom is picking cotton. You know, this is a newborn mother who should be on maternity leave. But that didn't happen back in, you know, the plantations of the slave South, of slave America, KKK. So at one point, you know, this repeats. Mom is picking cotton. Baby starts crying. And baby starts crying. It gets mom's attention. She gets distracted. And she goes to head towards her baby to try and cool him and get him to, you know, quiet down. The overseer sees this, beats mom to the baby, literally stomps the child to death so that it stops crying raises his whip and tells the mother to get back to work. And she's expected to go back to work, not complain about the fact that her 
basically newborn child was just viciously murdered in front of her eyes. She's expected to go back and be productive. You have one purpose here, and that's to make money for somebody else, to help build this nation free of charge. Don't give a shit about your offspring, right? Because black people are capital. And, and an infant baby born to a slave woman is of no use because it can't be profitable. But what it's doing is distracting her from being profitable. So, you know, might as well go take it out. And he could have just as easily picked the child up and taken it somewhere else. There were other ways to do that, but the sadistic point had to be made that this child is distracting you from what we want you here doing. And we're going to make sure we take that child from you. Jasmine Ward told that story and then went on to talk about her own experiences as motherhood, how she, you know, was having her first child, um, who I believe was a girl. And, you know, and once the child was born and she was finally able to look the child in the eye, the first thing she could think of to say was sorry, to apologize to her newborn. You know, I love you. I have unconditional love for you. I'm so happy you're here. And I am sorry that I brought you into a world that's going to hate you sooner than you will be prepared for it. She talks about her young son, how he's at the time, I think he was like three or four. And, you know, at that age, they're cute. You know, they're playful. They're gregarious. Hi, they'll talk to anybody. They'll stand up in the seat of the air on, on an airplane and high five people as they walk by. And people think it's cute. It's entertaining. They're adorable at that age. Right. And then as a black mother in this country, she has to ask herself, at what age do I have to take the joy and happiness that's in my son and darken his light a little bit? At what age do I have to tell him, listen, you won't be thought of as, as innocent as you are. You know, how old? She's got to at least do it before he's 16, because that's the age Trayvon Martin was when he was murdered while walking home with a bag of Skittles in his pocket. She's got to do it before, uh, I believe it was age 12, because that's when Tamir Rice was killed by playing cops and robbers in Neighborhood Park by a police officer inside of two seconds of showing up on the scene. Laquan McDonald was 17, definitely before he gets to adulthood, because this country will think he's a threat just because of his skin tone. So think about that. Those of you who are parents, you see your child and you want them to have all the joy and happiness in the world. You want them to learn, love, experience, laugh, um, enjoy things, express themselves, play music, do these things that make you proud. And also to not have a lot of worries, just be happy being a kid, have a healthy childhood. How healthy is a childhood when your parent has to actively ask themselves, when do I take away their innocence? How healthy is a childhood when in the back of their minds, as they're watching you be this fun, happy kid, you know, who in my case loved playing football in Little League. And then at some point when his quote unquote best friend uses the word nigger just to piss him off one day, what do you say to your son when suddenly this whole new world of bigotry and racism smacks him upside the face when all he wanted to do was have fun playing football and be a part of the team? And so in this day, you know, again, this is June 2020, when 
the country, the United States, has just gone through a hellacious week. Not only are we dealing with a global pandemic that's got some people just being careful, we're still wearing masks outside, we should be isolating and washing our hands and such. We also have a lot of protests. Over 140 cities nationwide erupted into protest because we all watched George Floyd be murdered on television by police. And all I can think of when I see that is that George Floyd had a mother. And while I can watch that, and it hits home for me because George Floyd was from here in Houston. He's about my age. He went to Jack Yates High School. I went to Mount Carmel High School, but we may have been at the same basketball game. We may have known some of the same people. We may have crossed paths, gone to the same party, the same dance, the same club. We may have been at the Houston Livestock Show and Radio together. We may have been in the Astrodome during the PV and, and, and Texas Southern game. We may have been at the Classic the Labor Day Classic, at the same time, George Floyd and I were very, very similar in some ways. And that could have been me. I could have been the one handcuffed, face down with a cop's knee on my neck, telling him I can't breathe, calling for my mother while bystanders were screaming, let him up, while another cop was saying, this is why you don't do drugs, kids, saying I can't breathe, calling for my mom. In my case, calling for mama from my beloved mother. And the, the thought that really tears me up about this is not the watching George Floyd die, but the fact that if that was me and you all were up there watching me die, I would have had to have the thought in my mind that Mama Bud could be watching me be murdered on TV multiple times, watch this country rip itself apart, and then watch it become politicized and people saying they don't have any empathy for him and fuck George Floyd. That's what he gets for being a drug and whatever the hell. Black mothers go through hell because every time one of us gets murdered, our mothers say, shit, that could be my child. And our mothers raised us in this society, knowing the society was going to try to fuck us over left and right every single day. My mother raised three sons. My youngest brother's already been shot multiple times. Cops still don't have a clue who shot at him 40 times in the middle of the damn night. My oldest brother is a Houston police officer. He may get shot just because he's wearing a badge. So yeah, police brutality is an interesting topic with me. I'm the one that wasn't supposed to have those problems. I worked a job where I had guns pointed at me by police officers because I was doing my damn job. Now, I got lucky they didn't shoot me, but I've been there. I've been harassed by cops. I've had cops laughing because they were going to basically plant evidence on me to get me locked up when I was 16 years old. And I've also watched my beloved five-foot-two mother stare down an entire police department because a wealthy, well-connected white man was fucking with her children. Got in his face, and he called the local police department. Six squad cars showed up. I was about eight or nine years old, looking out the window of the backseat of my mama's car, watching her stare down police officers. I honor the difficulty of motherhood, all motherhood. But I'm telling you, being a black mother in this society is unique. It is different. Because I'm guessing most Parents don't consider the fact that this society is going to try to find a way to incarcerate or murder their 12-year-old. You know, of course, there's no telling nowadays. We know through the news that in Seattle, a nine-year-old girl got maced by a police officer. 
But I have been fucked with and harassed since I was about six years old for being black. I've had people threaten me. To this day, people threaten to call the cops on me. It's the first thing out of their mouth. I'm going to call the cops on you. Christian Cooper was birding in Central Park, New York, and a white woman who considers herself a liberal got upset at him. And the first thing out of her mouth was, I'm going to call the police until I'm an African-American man is threatening my life. Um, I believe it's Van Jones that said that white America has this virus that at any moment will turn and instantly become racist when it serves their uh, uh, um, desires or methods. They all have it in them that literally the most supportive, quote unquote, ally, and I'll get to that topic another day, can be fine. Everything is good. And in the one moment something makes them uncomfortable, the first thing they do is pick up the phone, dial 911 and say a black dude is scaring me. You know, and our mothers have to deal with that. So I like to honor what I'm calling a Black Mother's Day. And I'm going to call it the, you know, we can call it the end of May or the beginning of June. We'll, have, we'll make it June 1st. I would like to honor Black Mother's Day because motherhood itself is a fascinating pheno- phenomenon. If one takes the time to look at it, because every mother out there, and I salute you all, you are opening yourselves up to heartbreak because you have your greatest gift, the greatest thing you've given to the world, your greatest accomplishment is your child or your children. And at any moment, something could happen to them to take them away. And you all live with that fear. But you need to understand that the mothers of children with black skin have that fear as a fucking reality every single day. My mother raised us to go out into a world that she knew was going to try to incarcerate or kill us. My mother knows that I live alone right now and I walk out of my house every single day into a society that is going to try to incarcerate or kill me and has been doing it every day of my life and will pretend like it's not and then tell me there's something wrong with me. So on Black Mother's Day, I want us to not only honor motherhood, but particularly motherhood of Uh, people of color and black people particularly, but especially those mothers who had to suffer the ultimate pain. Because when we take the time to, as we say, say their names, and we're saying their names, Eric Garner, Sandra Bland, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, Tamir Rice, Dontre Hamilton, John Crawford, Eric Harris, Walter Scott, Corin Gaines, Laquan McDonald, Akai Gurley, William Chapman II, Sam DuBose, Jeremy McDole, Ricky Ball, Jamar Clark, Seville Smith, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Keith Lamont Scott, Terrace Crutcher, Jordan Baker, Stefan Clark, Pamela Turner, Jordan Edwards, so many others, and let's not forget Brianna Taylor, Ahmad Arbery, and George Floyd. Say their names so we don't forget them, but keep in mind each and every name I just mentioned and all the others I had to leave out because of time. Every last one of them had a mother. And that mother is in pain because on Mother's Day, she's not going to get a card or a phone call from at least one of her children. I called my mother on Mother's Day. I'm going to call her again today. In fact, I'm going to go over and hug her because when I get done with this, I'm going downtown to walk with the family and hopefully the mother of George Floyd from through downtown to City Hall because George Floyd deserved better. And his family and his mother are hurting right now because an entire nation watched him get murdered by people who didn't give a crap. 
that might as well have been that overseer and a plantation in Mississippi stomping an, un, un, uh, an infant uh, newborn child just to make it be quiet so that its mother would get back to making him more money. Black mothers open themselves up for absolute hell. And I can tell you because I know this. I've watched Mama Bud. She tells me every time she sees some young black person get hurt, she worries about the three of us because anytime it could be one of us, my brother's a cop. He works nights in Fifth Ward. It could be him. It could be me just because I'm radical and have a big mouth and I'm afraid of nothing. My younger brother's already been shot. I was with my mom when she found out. I saw the pain on her face. I never want to see that on the face of a black mother in America again. And I can't say that I won't. I was just watching a story about Amadou Diallo and his mother from Guinea. Flew all the way from West Africa, Guinea to New York City after her son was shot 41 times by four police officers while unarmed. And the pain in her face when she cried out his name. And then over a year later to watch all four of those white cops be found not guilty and acquitted of shooting that man 41 times or shooting at him 41 times and killing him. I know the pain. Black motherhood is a tremendous institution made up of some very strong and unique and amazing and just, you know, extraordinary people. And it needs to be honored with its own holiday. So celebrate your mothers on Mother's Day. Write the cards. Then go find the mother of a black child on the end of May, May 31st through June 1st. And tell them you see them, you respect them and that you appreciate what they have done, what they are doing, and their pain, whether their child is with them or not. Because some of those mothers, as I just mentioned, will not get that call on Mother's Day. Thank you for joining me. This is the ABM Podcast. I am Zach, your angry black man, reminding you to celebrate Black Mother's Day and keep in mind that all Zach lives matter. 